Well, good morning, everyone. Just a second. Uh, passing away. Ceasing. No. Withering. Perishing. 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 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the wise? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 and went to its conclusion. You see, in time, we'll discover that if life hasn't taught you already, is that humanity, if you put too much trust there, will let you down. It will let you down. But if you understand that there is a God whose character, his trustworthiness, his, his love, will transcend the weakness and the failures of mankind, And we'll be looking at that today because in our lifetime, we'll discover that if our hope is put in certain things other than God, you'll find that some of the things you put your hope in actually kills the very hope you seek. 
So my name is Tony Hunt. I'm pastor here at LAFC, and I welcome you here this morning as we go and we engage from the Word of God what it looks like to find hope that lasts rather than putting our faith and trust in things that actually will undo hope and literally kills hope. And so we're going to be turning in our Bibles today and reading out of Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3. As we are, are studying the life of Daniel and how he engaged a culture that was very pagan, very full of itself, uh, was thriving around him. It seemed as though uh, a, this godless society was more powerful than anything he had ever experienced. Yet, in the midst of it all, Daniel was able to stand strong enough that he influenced the direction of the kingdom and turned the hearts of kings. How did that happen? That one man who was a slave, who had been emasculated, who had been taken from his homeland and could have easily played the victim card, how is it such a man could actually influence kings and kingdoms? One of the things you're going to discover as we look today is that hope being, as we talked about last week when Pastor Joel spoke, uh, hope being so foundational as part of our moving forward in life. And, uh, and Daniel uh, showed that in his friends, his relatives in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they stood strong in the midst of their lives being threatened. They had a hope that superseded the direct impact that could have come upon them. Today, as we look, we will be looking at what does it mean to avoid that which kills hope. And so the passage that was just spoken here out of 1 Corinthians 1 is actually where I would like to begin to identify that which kills hope. And then we'll go into the life of Daniel and his friends to see how that plays out. So beginning with hope killer number one. Hope killer number one is starting with a faulty premise. You see, starting points matter. Imagine this. How many drama shows have you seen on TV where the storyline goes under a, prom a premise that you are led to believe is true? You go through the entire storyline thinking the story's going to end up this way, only to be discouraged or disappointed or delighted by the fact that a piece of information that would change the premise is revealed. It's usually how good writers write good stories and good movies, but it also plays out in life. We tend to believe the story in front of us, and we let it go, building the case in our minds, only to find out there was a piece of information you needed. It's been interesting as we go through this building project and, and just choosing something like the covers of new chairs, the material. I mean, are you excited to get rid of the mauve-colored chairs? Please say amen. amen. Please say amen. I, I personally am ready to do away with teal and mauve. It's not my, they were not my colors. And, and, and so, but as part of this, I'm excited to choose new, new chairs. And I had what I thought was going to be the best chair cover. I really liked the material, but I was getting pushback from our interior designer. And I didn't understand it. And I'm like, it's got all the colors. It looks great. But here's the problem. There was a premise I was missing. 
It's called the carpet. <laughs> and then when I saw what I liked sitting next to the carpet, all of a sudden, I no longer liked it. And all that argumentation that I'd come up with in building my case left in one sw fell swoop. And our interior designer, I would like to say, wasn't exactly humble about <laughs> being right. Bonnie Martin. <clears throat> <laughs> so a premise matters in forming final opinions, does it not? And so when we put our hope in something... And we build this case, and it looks like all the evidence suggests you are right until one key piece of information shows up, and it makes everything you've built the storyline on to become wrong. You see, if you start with a faulty premise when it comes to where you place your hope, it immediately, not only does it kill it, it evaporates, it eradicates it. And the hope that you had is not only fainting, it is gone. And so you must begin with a strong premise that is founded in that which is true and always true. Hope killer number two is assuming that faith in yourself or faith in another person, or the logic that you maybe are able to ascertain from within, or maybe the logic from another, is infinite or enough to have hope going forward. In other words, you trust you, or you trust somebody you really like near you. You see, that can be one of the greatest hope killers, because the reality is unless you're God's next greatest gift to Jesus. We're all extremely flawed, but somehow we gain a lot of confidence in our own perspective and in our own abilities or in somebody that maybe has mentored us or so on, and we assume that is enough. That is setting you up for great disappointment. Hope killer number three is deciding that Wisdom is capable of being found in the absence of God. Hope killer number three is very straightforward. Wisdom being found in the absence of God. Consider Sigmund Freud for a moment. Many of you have probably studied him. If you've ever done a psychology class or, or human history class or a philosophy class, Sigmund Freud made this comment, and I stumbled on this when I was doing my master's thesis a few years ago, quite a few years ago, actually now. But as I was reading this, this really jumped off the page when he said, to believe in God is illusory, or in other words, delusional, mentally unstable. You get the point. He's saying that to believe there is a God is illusory. Because man created the idea of God because they needed something to fixate their problems upon because they could not withstand the pressures. This is Sigmund Freud's idea of why the idea of God has even happened is that you and I 
cannot handle the pressures of life. So in order to escape the pressures of life, we create this idea of God and we throw it upon him so that we can make it through the next day. And Sigmund would say, therefore, you're delusional. You're mentally unhealthy, which basically means that he has just told 92% of the world that believes there is a higher power that they are mentally unhealthy and he's a part of the elite 8%. Now, as time went on for Sigmund Freud and his hope is found in the logic of man, if you study anything about his end of days, you'll discover that because he was unwilling to consider a superior power to make it through what was overwhelming him, he chose cocaine as his antidote, his hope. He became a drug addict. And on top of that, he isolated himself because he realized he was losing it. See, if you choose that wisdom can be find out, found outside the absence of God, in other words, your hope is anything but God, then when life does get difficult, as he speaks of, if there's no God and you're not the answer, then what? And it caved in upon him. He lost all hope. And yet, he is considered the father of modern psychology. Would you want your hope to be defined by a man who says to believe in the idea of God is illusory? Would you want to have that kind of faith? I believe you would find that to kill hope as soon as life became difficult. Hope killer number four. This one, I, I believe, is a little bit more insidious. And that is this. When you begin to believe that culture has it right and you ignore the fact that much of what culture says is right is based on the idea of fear. You see, if you really take apart that which the culture puts out in front of you, this is the way to go, you'll discover that much of the premise, the faulty starting point that they begin with is fear-based. Fear can cause us to say a lot of things. Fear also can mislead us. But think about what's lost if you make fear the premise by which you discover that which is true. You'd lose love. Because love takes risks. Love is what actually causes us to say, I'm willing to take the risk to help this person even if it means it hurts me. But also, if you do fear-based, you fail to grow. Consider this culture and how it's become so fear-based. When I was a kid, and you hear this stuff all the time, but when I was a kid, we walked uphill both ways in snow, knee-deep, to get to school. <laughs> That's not true. But here's the point. When I was a kid, you could swing on a swing set and there was nothing underneath to keep you from getting hurt. When I was a kid, you could climb a jungle gym that didn't have anything underneath to soften your fall. Today, if a school or a park puts a swing, they have to create so much cushion. In fact, some have even eliminated some things that we grew up with. 
When was the last time you saw a merry-go-round being installed? We create things to avoid injury. It's so fear-based. When do we ever encourage kids to climb trees anymore? Oh, they might get hurt. You see, fear drives a lot of things. We're getting ready to launch a new phase in life. It's probably not the generation that's in high school now, but the next generation after them may never have to learn to drive a car because it'll be done for them. You know, somebody just said with great disappointment, what? <laughs> for parents that have to teach their kids to drive, we're saying, yes. But fear drives us. Fear drives most everything that we make decisions upon. In fact, we create rules based on the fear of lawsuits. We create procedures based on the fear of lawsuits. We create all kinds of modes of operation between people out of fear of false accusation. Do I need to go on? If we ignore the fact that most of the truths being put forward by our society as being worthy of our honor and praise, if you look at them, most of them are fear-based. And the ones that are not fear-based are usually self-indulgent. So where can you actually find hope? And that's where I love the story of Daniel. And it's not just about Daniel. It's about his, likely his cousins, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and you see in their story that there was something about them that transcended the culture around them that was fear-based, self-indulgent-based, that yes, they thought there was enough wisdom contained in the enchanters and wise astrologers around them that they didn't need to pursue God. And yes, they assumed that their logic was infinite, and they all started from a high view of man. So as we look at Daniel, I want us to look at it with the lens of how they actually were leading in a culture that hope was being eradicated around them. And they kept running into that which kills hope. But then shining upon those who had found true lasting hope. So let's begin in Daniel chapter 2 with looking at this construction. Again, we're going to keep looking at, the, at these same one, chapters 1 through 4 from different angles, understanding what was rooted in the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends. So beginning in Daniel 2, the, the, the context there is that you have Nebuchadnezzar, the king, who has a dream that, that basically causes him to be consumed with its meaning. And he really desperately wants to know what it truly means. But he's savvy enough to understand that when he goes to his wise people, his astrologers, his enchanters, his wise counsel, that they more often than not do not give him great wisdom because they're afraid of him. They give what they think the king wants to hear. Therefore, he doesn't get to hear the truth of what's really going on. And he knows this. So he creates an edict that is different. He tells his wise people, he says, I want you, I have had this dream, this vision. I want to know its meaning. But in order for me to know that I'm going to get the true interpretation of it, I want you 
to tell me what the dream actually was. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You need to tell me the dream back and then tell me its interpretation. And I'll know then at that point, because you've revealed the dream and the interpretation, that I can trust the interpretation. And by the way, if you don't do that, you'll die. So the pressure is on. And when you have that kind of pressure, it kills hope pretty quickly. It cuts through all the faulty premises. And so let's look at how this shakes down here in chapter one, uh, 2, in verse 8. It says, The king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because they're playing, they're dodging him. They're, they're playing the kick the bottle down uh, the road a little bit here. And so it says, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading things and wicked things, hoping that the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I then will know you can interpret it for me. But the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth, no one on earth, that can do what the king asks. No king has, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Okay, so an impossible situation has been put upon these wise people, and, and they are then revealing, what should I say, the truth and the reality of their counsel, beginning with how they handled his initial instructions. You see, if you are truly a pretender and not a real hopeful person, in other words, you pretend to have hope, then you're going to have to play in these difficult situations the delay game or manipulate the situation or as a result, you start showing that you are inconsistent and can't be worthy of counsel and providing counsel. So they're pretenders of hope, and it becomes evident. They're like, uh, they're playing the delay game. They, they really cannot offer what he asked for. And then in verse 11, they acknowledge something that's really important, that man can't do everything. So again, hope is killed. It's been eradicated in this moment. They have no hope, so they've tried to delay to give them some time to figure out a way out of it. And then when they realize, nope, he's not changing his mind, then they go to what is truth. Finally, from their mouths, what is true? The answer doesn't lie with us. Man doesn't have it. Man cannot. And therefore saying in the middle of verse 11, man is not God. Not only they say man cannot and man is not God, they even acknowledge that God is not with them. He's somewhere else. It's amazing what pressure can do in exposing the reality of hopelessness. And then they said, this can only be done by the gods. They didn't even know which God. They just said it has to be other, other than them. So hope Listness is revealed because their hope is eradicated. So they're shown as pretenders and delayers. They're, they're showing they're limited and acknowledge that. They say man is not God. So they're saying man therefore cannot be here and God is somewhere else. 
And then in verse 27 and 28, you'll see Daniel's acknowledgement of the same thing. You see, he was one of those wise people. Not by choice, he was thrown into that group and he became the head of them after this story. And, and within this story, he hears this and he is distraught, but he doesn't lack hope. What he does is he gathers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are also part of this court, and they pray to God. God, give us the, this dream. Reveal the dream to us and give us its meaning. Because they knew the answers weren't with them. And they knew who God was. So in verse 27 to 28, after God had revealed the dream and its interpretation to Daniel, Daniel says this to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27. No wise man, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So in this situation, the final conclusion that hope in man, hope as, as being found in the intellect or philosophies of man, all of that is eradicated, and now it spotlights that it must be from God's to reveal this. But then Daniel's saying, but there's only one God, and this God can reveal mysteries. So now, hope has been redirected from not even Daniel and his friends, but beyond to not only just the gods, but one God. And this God is the revealer of mysteries. Imagine having been a lifetime of providing counsel to the king and using all your manipulation skills and your verbal skills to be able to appease the king. And then the king does something you've never seen done before and, they, and, and says, reveal the dream itself, to which they knew we can't do. And the king knew it. So it eradicates any false pretense. It also shows humility in the moment. The man, if done right and wise, will realize we're limited we're not God, and God's not among us, and there is only one God. So then, how does this get revealed? Who are the ones that, that show then true hope? Because in this story, what you see is that King Nebuchadnezzar ends up declaring that the God of Daniel is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Now notice in that statement, Nebuchadnezzar still is not singling out that there's one God. He's saying, no, well, there are gods, but this God is the most powerful one of them all. There are lords, but this is the most high and lofty Lord of them all. He's not ready to say there's one God and one Lord. That comes later. But yet he knows hope is found in one at this point. He gives space for him to have doubts, but he's starting to discover there's hope found in one. So now I want us to turn over to Daniel chapter 3. Just one page. And in this is the story that Pastor Joel spoke from last week. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. And, and the story was basically that King Nebuchadnezzar ends up building this huge statue that he has decided 
everybody when it's being commissioned and dedicated that there was going to be a bunch of instruments to go off simultaneously. And at that moment, everybody is to bow down and worship. But something happens. They choose, in this case, Daniel's friends choose not to worship. And so here's where the story picks up, where we hear what happens between these wise people and King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who did not bow down at the sound of those instruments. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all the music must fall down then at that moment and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Then in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar gets furious, says, bring them here. And he also charges for the fire to get seven times hotter. But let's look at what happens in verse 17 and 18 when these three men are brought before him. It says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So they did it respectfully, but they also rejected the king's command. And as a result, they're thrown into the fire. God rescues them miraculously. They're brought out of the fire, having lived, even though the guards that had thrown them in died by the heat of it. This miracle is standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and he is totally dumbfounded. But in this moment, look at what he says in verse 28. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. I call this the marks of a hopeful person. A person whose hope is founded well. Their, their premise is good. It's sound. And that's because they've chosen the one who is faithful in God to be the sole source of their trust. So what are the marks of a hopeful person? First one being this. A hopeful person will stand when they know they should stand while others bend. Think about that for a moment. A hopeful person will stand because they know they need to stand there while others may bend. Unfortunately, in our culture, out of fear-based decision-making, many people that claim to be followers of Christ have chosen to bend and align their values to the cultural uh, masses and the, and the meanings that are found in society and to say that the majority makes the decision as to what is moral. So they bend rather than, where does God want me to stand? 
So hopeful people, the first marker is they stand while others may bend. Number two, a hopeful person that truly has a lasting hope is one who worships exclusively one God. They don't worship the authority of others. They don't worship the impressive resume of others. They worship one. And it's not themselves. They worship God, the one true God. Which then leads to the next mark, which is they have unquestioned trust in God. Unquestioned trust in God. When you think about this, I get it. We run into difficult things in life. And again, difficult things in life expose the premise by which you and I live by. It shows whether or not we truly filter everything by our view of God. But what the difference between somebody who doubts in the middle of a difficult situation and the one who doubts and then falls apart is the one who in the midst of their doubt will say, you know what, God, I can't get my head around this but I trust you. I can't make sense of this, but I trust you. There are many things in my life that I've experienced that, that where I'm helping other people or it's happened in my life that I look and say, this makes no sense. Why would God do this? Or why would God allow this? And I may not even know or understand the answers, but I have to come back to the conclusion and say, while I don't get it, I trust you. What if I chose differently? It would show up in the way I preach. It would show up in the way I counsel. It would show up in the way I handle adversity. It would show up in the way I do relationships. You see, true hope is found when you stand when others bend and you worship one and you trust one. And ultimately, you're willing to give up your life for that one. I'm willing to give up my life to serve God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, even if God chooses to not rescue us from this fire, we will not bend the knee. We'll worship him alone. Which then leads to the final point. A hopeful person serves one. So they stand when others bend. They worship one. They trust in one. They're willing to give up their life for that one. And they're willing to serve and serve one and only God. A, such a person exudes hope. And that's why in the midst of a great pressure, when it's coming in on them hard, they still stand while others bend. What I love about this example is this not also reflected in Jesus himself. He stood when others bent around him. He stayed the course at the cross, even when the pressure of the, of the moment was coming in, that he, he, that he said, Lord, pass this cup for me, but not my will, your will be done. He worshiped God and God alone, even when he was tempted at the beginning of his ministry, tempted by the devil to worship him and not God, even just for a moment. He was challenged multiple times to not trust in God, only to keep trusting in his father. He was willing to give up not only his life at the, at the charge of God the Father, but to give up his life for what the objects of the Father's love was, you and I. And all of this is because Jesus, from the core of his being, served, worshiped, and trusted one. 
it's for that reason that you and I have hope. If Jesus had fell apart in any of those levels where he quit trusting, he quit worshiping, and he bent when, others, when he shouldn't have, we wouldn't have the hope of the cross that we have today. So we serve him and him only. Let's pray. At this time, if you're going to help serve communion, would you please come forward? Father God, I recognize that in my flesh, my being, there are many times when I have created a faulty premise that I've trusted in. And I'm thankful that you've exposed those premises through grace and mercy. Lest my life go off the rails and fall apart. God, I'm thankful that you also, in spite of our sinfulness and our, and our lack of worship of you, our lack of care towards you, our lack of consideration for you, it didn't change how you offered hope found in your son, Jesus Christ. We are blessed. We are fortunate to be on this side of the cross because it exemplifies hope. It becomes the anchor for our souls. So God, I just pray that you will work in this moment as we remember your son, Jesus, and the great love and sacrifice he had that provides us hope in this day. In Jesus' name I pray. It's so good to be on this side of the cross. If you know anything about the human story that's connected underneath the story of God, then you you have to know we're in the best time in the history of mankind to be on this side of the cross because we have very clear, articulated hope that is standing the test and will stand the test. So we want you to be able to go out of here having confidence in the work of Jesus Christ. And if you would like to pray with someone or talk to somebody about some of the stuff going on in your life, we'll have people underneath the cross who'd be glad glad to talk to you and uh, be able to help you in any way. And so with the final word being this, find that your hope is in one. Worship one. Trust in one. And may that one be the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, underneath the Father's love. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.